Well, it's good to be with you here again this week. And last week, Pastor Tim kicked off the series, The Glimpse of the Messiah. And uh, we are going to continue in that. If you remember, uh, this series is based upon different um, verses from the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, where we see just little glimpses, little snapshots of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All of these that we're going to be looking at are, are glimpses, snapshots that we see in verses that are quotes from Psalms. And so we're kind of connecting. Here's the writer of Hebrews just giving a little bit of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he is doing. And we see that then from quotes from Psalms and like to look in those different passages from uh, the Psalms and, 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 and see uh, how those develop from there. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9 here to start with, where we see the glimpse of Jesus the Son. And we see him as the groom, as a sovereign king. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, the he here is God the Father, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. We see here this quote from Psalm 45. And we see as he continues here this glimpse, we see Jesus as the sovereign Lord whose eternal reign. And we're going to see how that is developed here in this psalm, in Psalm 45. And so I, I ask you to turn over now to Psalm 45 where we're going to camp out this morning. In Psalm 45, it's great hearing these pages turn. As we're moving around here a little bit. But Psalm 45, we're going to start off here even in the introductory section. And I think it may give some context as to what this psalm is all about. This is a, a little unusual in some ways um, as we see this. It says, uh, to the choir master, according to lilies, a masculine of the sons of Korah, a love song. As we kind of look through this here a little bit in the introduction here, it says to the choir master, as, as are most of the, the psalms here, it is a song that was written. It says, according to the lilies, a mascal of the songs of Korah, to be honest with you, we're not exactly sure what all those are referring to, but we see some of those phrases, and, and it may be that this was uh, um, some indication of the tune in which this song was to be sung to. Uh, you see there the, the sons of Korah are referenced through most of the psalms there in the 40s, 42 and 44, 45, 46, 47, and, and, and others there, as we see uh, who may have originally written those, and, and some at the mass school they think is, a, is a probably a, uh, a literary or a musical term here that would help them to know how to sing this song, but the last phrase there you see, a love song. And that's really here as we see the context of this. What we're going to see is Psalm 45 is a wedding song. 
It's a wedding song that was written to the kings. And, and, and many of the Old Testament kings, this, may, this song may have actually been sung at their weddings uh, for uh, um, the music portion of the, of the wedding there to these kings. We see it's a, it's a wedding song. It's a love song that is written. But not only that, Hebrews gives us a glimpse that, that not only was it written, it was written in the context of sung at the, at the weddings of the king, but we see even more, though, this is a type of Christ. And that's really what Hebrews is drawing out in Hebrews 1. He says you, that, that your throne is forever and ever, ever, everlasting, talking about Jesus the Son. And that leads us to the title. As we see the, the glimpse of the Messiah here, it's the glimpse of groom. And we see Jesus here presented as the groom. And, and to give a little context here, uh, just maybe jot down this passage. I'll, I'll read it for you. But, but Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32, talks a little bit about this. And let me read here. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. You may have heard this before many times at weddings and within the context of marriage. And this is a marriage passage here. But Paul writes in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blameless. Verse 32 says, And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As we're seeing the context here, what we're seeing here is within this wedding song, and we're seeing even with marriage itself, is a picture, is a type of Christ as the groom and the church as his bride. We see that husband-wife relationship is Christ and the church. And not only that, though, we see, and, and maybe write this down, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, Revelation 19 says this, this is right leading up to Christ's return in the millennial reign. Here he says, And then I heard what seems to be the voice of a multitude, of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder cry out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb. Who's that? That's Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are true words of God. So what we see here is you're kind of setting up Psalm 45 as we see this wedding song. This song that would have been sung to the Old Testament kings, but this song is really talking about the wedding that will take place here in the future when Christ the groom is, is united with his bride and we are married with him as we go into the millennial reign and for all eternity. Amen. All right, there's the context here. So let's jump in now into Psalm 46, or I'm sorry, Psalm 45 here. Point number one, celebrate and praise the groom. Celebrate and praise Jesus the groom as the sovereign king. 
celebrate and praise Jesus the groom as the sovereign king. Verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like a pen of a ready scribe. The psalmist here starts off with, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. Literally, you see the emotion that's welling up. He can hardly contain himself as he's ready to to jump into into this song. He's overwhelmed with emotion as he's addressing the king. We see the introduction here of the the lyrics to this love song that is about to be written here. The introduction to this psalm. But he goes on and says, verse 2, You are most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. You are most handsome of the sons of men. He's saying you're the best looking of any of the guys that are out there. I don't know how many weddings you've been to here lately, but how many times do you see that groom that's standing right down, right about here, as the processional starts, and he's all cleaned up, looking good, ready to go for that ceremony. But not only that, not only do we see Christ as groom as as the handsome here, but we see him with the gracious words. Not only looking good on the outside, but what is on the inside, what pours forth and comes out of his mouth is graciousness. It's grace that that, that he extends to us. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, because of that, God has blessed you forever. We see, summarize verse 1, we see that, that, that he is blessed that he is good-looking on the outside, he is gracious in the words that come out, and that God has blessed him forever. Verse 3, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. He's saying, take, affix your weapon to your side. Strap on that sword in the, the splendor and, and magnitude. We see the the the... the the, the warrior who's getting ready for battle. We see him all dressed up in his dress blues with his sword at his side. He's seeing a king who's magnificent in his armor. We see Christ, the groom, as the mighty warrior. In your majesty, ride out victorious for the cause of truth and meekness. And righteousness. In your majesty, ride out as victorious. We see the king on the white horse. Even as we read in Revelation, we see that day when he will come back on his right horse and he will do battle and destroy evil and set up his permanent earthly kingdom. We see this victorious, conquering hero for the cause of truth, meekness. And righteousness. We see the character of Christ here. We see truth and honesty. We see meekness, the gentleness and humility. We see his righteousness, his good and uprightness, his stand for holiness, even as the words that were just sung in the songs. We see him as victorious. 
Your arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. Your, your weapons are prepared. All are just sharpened so they're ready to go. Not only that, your aim is perfect. Right into the heart of the enemy. And the peoples fall under you. We see that your accuracy will make you victorious is literally what the, what the lyrics of this song is saying to the, to the king, this conquering, magnificent, sovereign king who's the groom in this wedding. Now we get to verses 6 and 7. Again, this is the, really the theme through here, the, 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 the quote that we saw in Hebrews It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your reign is eternal, is literally what's being said here of Christ. That you will eternally reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, not just now, but for all eternity. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. The symbol of your reign is the symbol of your truth, of, of, of your righteousness, of, of, of your uprightness, of your character. We see the eternal sovereign rule of this king groom. This eternal, forever and ever the reign of Christ as sovereign king. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you have loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. You are passionate about holiness, about about uprightness of righteousness. You, You abhor evil. You hate evil, he says of Christ. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Therefore, God has anointed you. He's selected, he's chosen out, and he's given that symbol of his choosing here with the anointing. We see he's selected with the oil of gladness. Literally, we could say that of, of, of the happiness, of joy, of delight. The symbol of that God's choosing of him, of this anointing, is the joy that comes forth from him. And it's beyond your companions. It's so evident, so much more than any of those that were accompanying him in the wedding party, that we see God's choosing and sovereign anointing here of Jesus King, who's the groom. Verse 8. The robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. The rooms are, are just permeated the, uh, the robes were, the, the garments were permeated with these wonderful, fragrant smells of myrrh. It was a, a spice that they got from, from the, the, the gum of, of different trees that smelled so good, of, of the aloes, uh, again, more sweet-smelling fragrances that they would use and, and just covered the clothing and and we see the cassia. Cassia, I'm told, is actually a kind of almost like a cinnamon type of smell that comes from a root of a plant here. That they would find these things and, and just saturate their clothing. So they smelled so well. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. 
From the towers of the castle, we see the violins and all of the stringed instruments that are playing music, that are just bringing joy and delight as they would hear this, getting ready for this ceremony and the processional that is about to take place to come into the castle for this wedding. That's the picture that's being painted here. And the daughters of the kings are among your ladies of honor. That not only was the king here who was the groom and soon to be the bride, soon to be the queen, but we see that there are others in the royal party, other royalties that have come out for this wedding that make up this wedding party. And that they are all present and part of that wedding party, the ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. We see then the queen, the bride, who stands right beside the groom, magnificently arrayed in her gold and interwoven garments. Do you see the picture that's being sung here of the wedding that's taking place of Jesus the groom who is the sovereign king, this royal wedding that's being unfolded here? So let me summarize. We're going to summarize this, this first section here that's directed to the groom here. So, so what's the significance of God's sovereign kingship in this passage? Here's some things in summary. The significance of God's sovereign kingship from this passage. We see number one, he has a plan. The sovereign king has a plan. Number two, he's gracious. He extending grace to us, even the fact that we are a part of this as believers in Christ who's a part of the church, the bride of Christ. We see that all that even comes from his mouth is graciousness. We see number three is character. He is just and true and right. He is just. He is fair. He is true. He is honest. He is right. We see also that he is and will be victorious. We see that he is victorious and that he will continue to be victorious for all eternity. We're on the right side. Number five, he and we as the church will reign with him for eternity. We will eternally reign with Christ. We see number six. He brings joy. He brings gladness, delight, praise is the natural outflow of that as we see who Christ is and what he does. But it doesn't stop there. We also see that he chooses us, believers, his church, that he's chosen us to be his bride. Even though we are undeserving. Truly we see this is the ultimate of the Cinderella story. Of the commoner, the sinful people that God has chosen to be his bride. Nothing that we have done and all because of who he is. And lastly we see that he's trustworthy. We can trust the sovereign king. We can trust the sovereign king. 
It's kind of ironic maybe that uh, I get to preach on this passage here with this wedding song. Just to be real honest, weddings have been a big theme in the McGinnis house here over this past year. Uh, my oldest daughter, Miranda, and Brian Green were just married a little over a month ago. And so we uh, walk through this process of this wedding, uh, and their engagement was uh, um, about 10 months, I think. Yeah, about 10 months was the engagement process, although who's kidding who? We've been planning this wedding for years and years and years, (laughs) right? Been a lot of talk of that. You know, it's just amazing. I have done dozens and dozens of weddings and performed the ceremonies Um, But I'll be honest with you, there was a very different perspective on this one. We kind of got to see from the other side. I mean, I say you can't imagine. I'm sure most of you probably can, at least you gals know. All of the planning that goes into this wedding. All of the planning, the hours and hours and hours and the phone calls and the meetings and all that takes place to plan this wedding, to pull this off for... (laughs) A few moments, <laughs> All right, a couple hours, everything that goes into this, how many different planners, how many different people were a part of this? I, I don't know, we, we have a wedding book, and the wedding book was this binder with, with the multi uh, pockets and dividers and into all the different sections of all the things to didn't know. I've seen the wedding book, mostly from a distance. I wasn't really allowed to touch the wedding book. But, uh, and oh my goodness, when the wedding book was misplaced and we couldn't find it, everything just stopped until it was found. And, and we see the, the many, many people that were involved in this process. We see the, the multiple vendors the dozens of people that were helpers. We see the, the, the food that was prepared, the decorations. The many, many people uh, that were helping with the cleanup and all that went into that, the thousands of dollars that went in for that <laughs> moment. It gets worse. My daughter Abby just got engaged a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so here we go again. Looking forward to it, babe. It's going to be good. <clears throat> Next year in June. So much planning goes into this as we plan our earthly weddings. So many people are involved in this process. But that's not the way it is with our sovereign king. He is sovereign. He's got it all planned out. He doesn't need our help. Not only that, you can guarantee this wedding and this marriage will go without a hitch. There'll be no problems for all eternity. He can be trusted as sovereign king. So let me ask you here. Do you trust your sovereign king? Do you trust his plan? Do you trust the plan that he has? Can you celebrate that plan? Can you praise him in the midst of that plan? Maybe even if it goes against your plan. Maybe there's some plans that you have that you might need to set down 
and get on board with the sovereign king and his plan. So we see there, the first section, the first nine verses is is really directed towards the groom, towards Christ. But then there's a shift here, and that leads us to point number two. Starting in verse 10, we see point number two, prepare for his coming as a bride awaiting her groom. Prepare for his coming as a bride awaiting her groom. Starting in verse 10, he says, Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your, and your father's house. The king will desire your beauty. Hear, O daughter, and consider. Saying, listen here, bride. Listen up and consider. Incline your ear. Literally saying, lean in here to what I have to say. Forget your people and your father's house. Literally, he's saying, look, you need to leave behind your family and you need to be joined with your husband, the groom, Jesus Christ. Have you heard those words before? Even in Genesis chapter 2, as they talked about the wedding, and, and they shall leave father and mother and they shall be joined with their wife, their spouse, and the two become one flesh. Literally what, what's being described here is it's the giving away of the bride here in this verse and saying, look, bride, you are now being given away. Your family is left behind while you still have relationship and connection, but now your affiliation, your connection, your, your, your loyalty is now to your husband. And the king will desire your beauty He is your Lord, bow to him. As that groom who's still standing down front and his bride is now joining his beautifully adorned, his beautiful bride, whom he's so excited to now for his bride to become his wife. It says, and he still, though, is the king, the Lord, and the response of, we see here, the church to their groom is that of worship? Is that of falling down on their knees in worshiping the King of kings and Lord and lords, this sovereign Lord? Verse 12, and the people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of people. So now we see the wedding presents that start to come in. And we see there the people even from from outside of the country in the area of Lebanon to the north who's coming in. It says the riches of people that are coming with their gifts arrayed for this couple and for this bride. And we see the wedding presents that, that are coming because of this marriage. And then all glorious is the princess in her chamber, the robes interwoven with gold. All glorious... The, the, the magnificent picture here of this bride as she's putting on her wedding dress and this beautifully arrayed with gold interwoven through this dress as she's preparing here in her chamber for this wedding ceremony. In many colored robes she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. The many-color-robed, this beautiful wedding, ga- wedding gown, this multi-colored 
really with the gold and, and this very expensive, gorgeous dress that she is wearing as she's being led down the aisle to the groom. We see the processional that is now starting to take place as the bride comes and, and behind her, her pure and innocent bridesmaid that accompany her as she's going down to meet the groom here in the processional. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. With joy and gladness, they are led along. With, with happiness, with, with appreciation, they are brought here to the castle. They're brought for this ceremony and for this wedding and this marriage that follows. And this is just a, an unbelievably upbeat and exciting and joyous occasion as finally this wedding ceremony is taking place. Verse 16, in place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. Where your fathers were, where your ancestors were, literally it's saying your children, your sons will take their place. There will be this continual ongoing reign. We, we heard last week from the, 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 the Davidic covenant that was made in the line of, of David, these kings, ultimately with, with that of Christ who will reign for eternity. We see here this inheritance that is, that is passed out. And they're saying you're going to be blessed and your children and children's children are going to take their place in the, in the royal lineage and line and the, the inheritance that will come through your children. And then they wrap up here in verse 17. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Before nations I will praise you forever and ever. I will cause your name to be, to be remembered in all generations. Literally what he's saying is, I will make the name of Jesus Christ famous. Not just for now, but forever and ever and ever. Amen? We see here this, this, this magnificent crescendo here as the name of Christ. What are we about in this place? We're about making the name of Jesus Christ famous. Straight from verse 17 of Psalm 45. You will be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. The result of the famous name of Jesus Christ is what? Worship. Worship for eternity. We see the wedding song that's laid out here. We see this, this royal wedding that takes place. You know, it's, it's a little different in our weddings, though, isn't it? In our weddings, who's the main figure? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that, guys. Who's the main figure? The bride. And, and we see there in the bride, and we just, we just tell the groom, hey, you're just the decoration here. Just be quiet. Don't mess it up. We'll tell you when you're supposed to speak, and otherwise you're, you're good. And most grooms are very happy with that. And, and that's the way we see the, a lot of what goes on in our wedding ceremonies, but that's not what takes place here. The central figure here in this wedding is the groom. 
is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the groom Jesus Christ. And so we see that the, the bride is blessed because of the groom. What are some ways, I was thinking here in the past couple of weeks, what are some ways that the, that the bride is blessed by the groom? What are some ways that we're blessed because of Jesus Christ? Uh, we see in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, that he cleans us up. We, he finds us in our sin is when he, when he chooses to, loves us, to, to love us. And he calls us to himself, and then he cleans us up. We see number two, that he makes us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we take on, literally, we take on the righteousness of God. And it's not because we are righteous, it's because he is righteous, and we are made righteous because of his righteousness. But he doesn't just stop there. Number three, he adopts us. Ephesians 1.5 says that he adopts us as his children, as believers in Christ. We become part of the royal family. Number four, he gives us eternal life. John 3.16. He gives us eternal life with him in heaven. But he doesn't just give us eternal life Number four or number five, he, he lets us reign with him in his kingdom. Revelation 19. He gives us a job for all eternity. And we will reign with him. And then number six, the groom, he blesses us. Ephesians 1.3, he says he, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. We are blessed because of the groom. Everything that takes place for us as believers, as the church, the bride of Christ, is because of Jesus Christ, the sovereign king who is the groom. So, as we see all this, so what are we to do with this this week? So how do we prepare for the groom? How do we prepare for the groom? As we say here, point number two, preparing for the groom as the bride awaiting. As the bride awaiting for her groom. So how do we prepare? Number one, we make it a priority. We make him a priority. We renounce all others. We saw that in verse 10, as, as you said, that even our family, even things that aren't even bad, but, but, but just to leave the family behind to make him the priority. Literally, we could say it this way, lose the distractions. Are there distractions in your life right now? Priority number two, praise. So he said this throughout this whole psalm, continually this should drive us to praise, to adoration, to thanksgiving. The more that we see all the, the, of who Christ is and what Christ does, it should drive us to praising him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we lift him up, number three then, it should humble us. Literally, big God, little self. It's not about my glory 
but it's about his glory. It's not about me getting the credit, me being famous, but rather it's that his name is famous. Number four is that we are to love him through obedience. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we prepare for the groom? How do we prepare for Christ's return? It should drive us to obedience. Drive us to his word and how he's laid out of how we should be living our lives and what's pleasing to him. And to showing our love through our obedience. And then number five, it's worship. Kind of summarizing all of this here, literally it's worship. It's reverence, respect. It's, it's putting him on the throne of your heart. Putting him on the throne of your life moment by moment, day by day, week by week. That's ultimately the constant, the application that we need to be going after is your worship. You know, as uh, we've been walking through this passage here in this wedding ceremony, as we've been walking through so many uh, (laughs) weddings that has been done as we Personally, in the McGinnis family, we're preparing for a wedding and now another wedding. I, I came across some statistics here. The preparation that goes into weddings. This is a, a study that was done in 2014. Um, it's, the, it's from uh, the uh, organization called The Knot. That would be K-N-O-T, not N-O-T. It's the number one multifaceted wedding resource, so I'm told. They surveyed 16,000 marriages, bride and grooms here in the United States here in 2014. And these were some of the statistics here. These are just a few, actually, of of all that came out of that. All right, you ready for this? The average wedding cost in the United States in 2014. (laughs) You all sitting down for this? $31,213 $31,213 Okay We just had a wedding And this is the average So I'm thinking there's got to be some really, really, really expensive weddings To counteract ours Because it wasn't close to that, praise the Lord $31,000 for a wedding Yeah I have three cars that total that cost right there So The most expensive place to get married is Manhattan at $76,000 and some change. The least expensive place and the place that we're moving to here this year is Utah. (laughs) It still was $15,000 and some change there as the average spent. The the average spent on a wedding dress was $1,357. The average marrying age of a bride was 29, the groom is 31. The average number of guests, we blew this one way out here, was 136. Okay, 31,000 spent on 136 people. 
Okay. The average number of bridesmaids and groomsmen was the same. It was four to five. The most popular month to get married is December. I'm sorry. The most popular month to get engaged is December. The average length of engagement is 14 months. The most popular month to get married is June. Good. Followed by secondly was October, fall wedding. The percentage of destination weddings is 24% here in 2014. A lot of preparation goes into our weddings, doesn't it? As we look through here of, of Jesus Christ, the groom, and the wedding that will take place here as his bride, the church, is united with our king, the groom. We need to be preparing. And so my question is, how are your preparations going? Remember that list here of the application? Is he a priority in your life? Or are there times when, you're being, when you've been distracted? Is there praise? Or maybe you've been going through a season of ungratefulness. Is there humility? Or at times, is your pride welling up and it's all about you? Is there love through obedience? Or has it been reflected with disobedience? Is there worship? Are you worshiping him? Is he Lord of your life? Or are you struggling at worshiping something else, someone else? Or maybe even in the moment you're worshiping yourself. Your homework this week is to worship your king like never before. Worship your king. Let's pray.